and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hardison. Today, we have a very special guest because we are previewing running backs. I did this podcast last year. I thought it went great. So I went back to the well. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. And I would love to introduce lead fantasy analyst at the score, fantasy pros, most accurate expert for 2019, top seven in each of the last seven seasons, host of the score fantasy football podcast, none other than Justin Boone. You can follow on Twitter at Justin Boone, Justin, man, second, third, maybe time on the podcast. You're now a recurring guest. I appreciate you making the time. How's the offseason been treating you? Hey, things are going well. And, you know, I appreciate you having me on. I've had you on my show now a bunch of times. And I love it, too, because, you know, the first time you you have somebody on, the first time you talk to them live, you know, you got to feel them out a little bit. Now I think you and I are at a point we've done this so many times where we did that international dynasty league. I was just straight up chirping you nonstop in that league. So we were having a lot of fun with it. And I think we have a lot of fun with this today, too. I was letting some of our fellow league members down, had a wedding and might've gotten ADP to <laughs> auto drafted uh, here and there. My bad happens to the best of us. Obviously we'll try to improve that in the future. But as I said, in the intro, we will be talking all things running backs today. We broke down quarterbacks here on this podcast about a week or two ago, running backs, wide receivers, tight ends probably coming up. But today we're focusing on the guys that you're going to see flying off the board at the running back position. Try to get through most of the main top 24 guys, got some quick hitters and let's just get after it, man. Enough with my damn intro. And first off, man, CMC, the running back, the overall 101 running back, y'all. Do you really think he's truly alone in this tier, though? I will say, you know, doing a little more research with it, his targets were down a little bit last year, even though he had the touchdowns to make up the fantasy points. Do you still consider CMC just all alone the top tier, or do you see other running backs that might be able to take that crown? I think there's other backs. I think there's one other guy that I kind of put them in the tier at the top, but it's him and Dalvin Cook for me. And you can make an argument for a few guys. I mean, you can make an argument for Alvin Kamara and on a points per game basis, Kamara was the only one that was really close to them last year. And I know CMC only played like three games and he was averaging like 30 fantasy points per game, just absolutely outrageous. But then you had Kamara around 25 ish and Cook was around 24. And then the next guy was Derrick Henry and as great of a season as he had, he was only around 20 in PPR points per game. So you could make an argument for a guy like Kamara. I know there's, you know, a little bit of dirt on him and some of the other guys in that range, right? When you look at Kamara and the offense changing a little bit, how is that going to impact things? People might be a little bit scared about that. Talk about a guy like Ezekiel Elliott. He's going to have to deal with Tony Pollard, who I think graded out on a lot of different things better than Zeke last year. Now, Zeke had COVID before the season. You know, there's a lot of reasons, excuses we can make for him too, but just having a guy like Pollard behind him and there has been talk that they're going to use Pollard a little bit more. And then Derrick Henry, I would love nothing more than to see Derrick Henry have another 2000 yard season. But now we've seen him over the last two years, over 700 touches combined last year, almost hit 400 and it was 397 touches. And last year at this time, we were talking about CMC as that guy that, you know, kind of had that unbelievable injury lock and was it going to happen? We don't really predict injuries, but you can look at it and kind of place a chip when you think that the probabilities maybe lean in that way. And Derrick Henry is superhuman from another planet, but at some point he's going to show us that he's human, right? So when you look at those guys, you can even throw maybe like an Aaron Jones in there as somebody that has that. Kamara-like touchdown upside could go out and just have a monster year. All those guys for me just have enough dirt that I keep them a little bit further back. But I I think Cook and and CMC are right at the top. And I think he belongs there with CMC at this point. 
they're the two guys where we could see that touch total start with a four and it wouldn't be that ridiculous to think about. One thing I've been trying to do throughout this offseason, particularly with running backs, is checking where my rankings are compared to where the usage is in our projections. Because over the past since 2011, past 10 years, running backs have averaged 1.61 PPR points per target, 0.6 per rush attempt. So I basically just apply those to our projections and see where every running back would rank if talent just had an efficiency, had nothing to do with it. CMC one, Dalvin two, Kamara three, Zeke four, Saquon five. It's not a hard game if we just follow the volume. <laughs> Guys, I am with you. Were you like me? Because Kamara was someone where I was pissing off a lot of people on Twitter earlier in the offseason. I had him down more RB6, RB7. But once Michael Thomas left, or he's seemingly out of the picture for at least the first month or two, if not more, I was like, okay, we're done here. Sean Payton, smart guy. Kamara is going to get his, moved him right back up to RB3. Is that how you've been treating the situation as well? I, I've really had him at RB3 when you talk about half PPR and PPR pretty much all off season. It's yeah. nice now that, you know, with, with Thomas out that that's maybe going to guarantee him that volume in the passing game. But I was pretty confident that Sean Payton, he's their best weapon. I was confident they were going to find ways to get him the ball, no matter who was playing quarterback. And we know he's got that, you know, six touchdown week winning upside. He brings that. And there's just so many things to like about Kamara, the player. And I don't think he's at that point. We got to worry about him dropping off yet. So when you have this offense, even though things are changing there, they're not going to get away from giving their best player the ball as much as possible, as much as he can handle. So no, I wasn't too worried about him. And they talk about not that many people play standard leagues. Cause I do a poll every year. And in the most recent one, which what's everyone's favorite league, PPR, half PPR standard standard came in like under 10% or something like that. So not a lot of people out there playing standard, but that's the only spot where then a guy like Henry, I think gets up into that, that third spot for me. So no, I've really been fairly high in Kamara all off season long and I don't think, like you said, it's pretty easy when you look at these guys at the top, aside from CMC and Cook that really don't have a lot of competition, the other guys up in that range kind of do have other guys in their backfield that are going to at least siphon some targets from them. Yeah, and I, I think you're probably on the right side of things from the beginning. When I finally made that adjustment, like I straight up told everyone, Probably was a little low on this from day one. I kid you not. And I think it was May or June, man. I literally had a nightmare where I woke up and like Alvin Kamara was just crushing it. And I was like, how could I have ranked this guy outside the top five? Don't have to worry about that anymore. Luckily, let's talk about some of these running backs that, you know, a little more questions now. We've gone over the top five, but nobody can stop talking about Saquon Barkley. Is he hurt? Is he not? Week one, week three. Got a lot of questions out there right now, though. I mean, he is going as the RB8, depending on the platform you're looking at. This dude was the RB6 and ADP before he even played an NFL snap. How have you been treating the situation throughout the offseason? And I guess what's your strategy with Saquon going into 2021? Throughout the offseason, I've been fairly cautious with it. I mean, I have been drafting him when he falls, but... You know, you just never know. There's a few of those guys, and we saw with Joe Burrow. I like having, and I'm sure you guys do this too, you guys have uh, an injury analyst, but I like having injury analysts on at the beginning of the offseason to get a vibe for, you know, where we think everybody's going to be at come preseason, and then bring them back on closer to the preseason to say, okay, what's the update? Where are we now? And I had Dr. Edwin Porras on from Fantasy Points, and early in the offseason, you know, a little bit skeptical about a guy like Barkley, a guy like Joe Burrow, the Burrow one now, I think Burrow is going to be fine, but the Burrow one, you know, Burrow now there has been some concern when it comes to him. So that one was kind of proven to be true that that timeline was a little tight, 
for Barkley in the most recent episode, he seemed to be pretty confident, almost happy that the Giants were going to slow play it a little bit here and take their time with him and not ramp him up too fast and rush it like some bad organizations have done in the past with players and said that if we do get a reduced volume or they sit him out for a game or two at the start of the year, that's probably better for his long-term fantasy outlook because when do we want him? We want him later in the season when it matters more, right? And you already said it. Barkley has established himself. I know Hurt last year hasn't had that long of a career, but this is a guy that could be right up there with CMC, with Kamari. Look at 2018, second most fantasy points among running backs in a per-game basis. 2019, he was seventh there. I'm willing to take the discount that I'm getting right now, figuring that I can get through the first week or two, and there's still a chance. Don't get me wrong. There's a chance that he's going to come out and play week one, and this was all for naught, like a lot of other things this offseason, all the Aaron Rodgers worries and everything, all the time we spend discussing and debating this, and guess what? He's back in Green Bay. Maybe we'll get lucky, and Barkley will be out there week one. Still definitely possible for him, but I think if he misses a game or two, I'm not that worried about it. I'm going to find another guy that I can plug in there. And we we should say that if you're looking at the Giants and thinking you want to grab that backup, everybody was looking at Devontae Booker as that guy. A lot of the beat writers now are suggesting that Corey Clement is the one that's performing better in practice and has a real shot to steal that number two job. So maybe it's going to be some sort of committee with Barkley and Corey Clement, or maybe we're going to see Corey Clement for a game or two at the start of the season. That's one to maybe put in the back of your mind for late in your drafts. I don't know how many people are really talking about that one right now, but when you look at what the injury analysts are saying, I'm not overly concerned with Barkley. I've been drafting him a bunch. You can get him at that one, two turn. I was in a, the draft sharks invitational a week or two ago and it was super flex, but he fell till the end of the second round. And I was happy to scoop him up there, especially in a best ball league. So I'm all over Barkley and I'm willing to take the risk. Not always. I know people are worried. You want the safety in those first couple picks, but I think Barkley's a guy that come mid-September, definitely by October, you're going to be so happy that he's on your team and giving you 20-plus points a game. I'm so happy you brought up Edwin because that's literally the same guy I've been referencing all offseason. He came on the podcast last year. Love everything he does at Fantasy Points. And he has done the best statistical analysis he can do on these situations. And according to Dr. Edwin Porras, top three predicted variables for success after an ACL tear, having high draft capital. If you're a freak athlete, you tend to recover from these sorts of injuries like a freak athlete. Number two, be 24 or younger. Number three, go through a relatively non-complex injury. I understand with the ACL, there's something else going on there. Justin, we don't know what a complex like injury is. Edwin knows what a complex injury is. If Edwin says it's not a complex injury, I'm fine with that. And the only issue that has been consistently brought to the attention is Jordan Renan saying, yeah, they have his best long-term interest in mind. I would really hope so. So with week three being this like worst case scenario, and again, that doesn't even seem like it's the most likely scenario based on his medical updates. I'm with you. I've had no issues at all taking Barkley throughout this process. I'm buying that discount eight days of the week. It is interesting. Yeah, if you're talking about like a Michael Thomas or something where the guy's going to miss the first six or the first half of the season, that's a situation where, okay, now I'm really pushing him down my draft board. I don't want to hold that guy through the first couple of weeks when I don't know what's going to happen with him. And no, this is not that kind of situation. We know Barkley is going to be healthy. It's going to happen soon. It's just a matter of when early in the season. And, and like I said, yeah, in the second half of the year, when you're making that push towards a title and you have one of the guaranteed top five backs on your team, you're going to be real happy about it. And I've heard some people, you know, reference 
Fairly so. Giants, worst offensive line in the league per PFF. Daniel Jones, the clapper, not a lot to like in the offense. And they said, oh, well, look at last year when Saquon just, you know, wasn't even having running room. And you're right. 15 carries week one, six yards. He also had nine targets, six catches, 60 yards. As bad as that week one game was last year, he finished as the RB23 in full PPR scoring. So Saquon, he has the workload of an RB1. We know he has the talent, even if the rest of the pieces aren't there. At his discount, people keep buying. Now, a couple guys that don't have the same sort of just, you know, league winning workload. Like maybe they can get there, but they don't have the targets that we want. Nick Chubb, Jonathan Taylor, incredible real life running backs. But, you know, we're playing fantasy football, not necessarily trying to pick the best real life ones. What do you where do you rank these guys? And just how concerned, I guess, are you without having that, you know, high end target floor that we're always chasing? I mean, I think people are are almost discounting these guys too much, right? Like when you look back at last season for the full year, average PPR fantasy points per game, Chubb finished ninth amongst running backs at 17.3. Taylor finished 10th, 16.9. So both these guys can be top 10 backs. And I know, you know, sometimes people ask me often because, you know, we post standard rankings and half PPR and PPR rankings. And I get a lot of questions about, you know, how do you decide the differences between them and, you know, with your projections and everything. And really, I think sometimes people make the mistake of adjusting too much for some of these guys. Yeah. The, the pass catching backs, the Naheem Hines the Kareem hunts, James white, maybe Joe Bernard this year, those guys do get a big boost up in PPR. But when we're talking about these high end backs, these guys are going to have a lot of touchdowns. You know, they're going to be the dominant lead guy on those teams. They're just also going to have this other, you know, pass catching back involved. And you can call Kareem Hunt more than a pass catching back. The, the guy could be a starter in the league. I'm almost surprised that he stuck around in Cleveland. I kind of hope that he was going to end up somewhere else and maybe we get to see him be a starter on his own. But I just don't really know what we're missing here. Like when we talk about the the kind of ceiling that these guys have, I mean, you take that stretch that Taylor had late in the season from week 11 on when they had the easy opponents and he didn't really have any competition. And finally the coaching staff like turned it over to him. They, they trusted him at that point in the year. And he just went off. You look at his numbers during that stretch, 24.3 fantasy points per game in PPR. So you look at these guys and think that the high end is still very, very high for them. And when you look at last year and what they did over the full year, they were both top 10 backs, despite the fact that Chubb was banged up and missed some time, had to come back from an injury and also the fact that Taylor, in the early in the season, they really didn't trust him. They weren't completely going to him the way they did in the second half of the year. And still top 10 on a per-game basis over the course of the full season. So both teams have strong offensive lines. You know, both teams, pretty good defenses. Uh, it looks right now like Wentz is going to be back pretty early in the season. And did it hurt that, of course, they're not going to have all training camp here to to get ready to gear up all together. And maybe we won't see the best version of that Colts offense for a couple weeks after uh, Wentz gets back. But I think the Colts overall are still going to be a good team. The Browns, I definitely think are going to be a good team. Their defense is really solid. So I really like both these guys and I'm not overly concerned. The, the thing that actually worried me the most of all of this was the injuries to the offensive line for the Colts. That was the thing that kind of made me kind of double take with Taylor and go, okay, wait, if we had a couple of guys missing on that offensive line, is that rushing attack going to be as good? But both these guys are really would call them Derek Henry lights and Derek Henry gets some passing work, not a lot, 
but these guys are probably need even a little bit more than that. It's going to be fine. They're going to be good. I am more than willing to take them at that discount where you can get them in the, the second round. If you want to start off and grab a Tyree kill or something in the first and come back and grab one of those guys and then build out from there, I'm fine with that start. Discount's great. I've finally been able to get some Jonathan Taylor in drafts recently because I've been trading them just as more of a low-end RB1 throughout this offseason. I had Cam Akers ahead of him. I've just been hesitant to really put him ahead of the Joe Mixons, the Najee Harris's, just the guys that could feasibly finish with 50-plus additional touches. Taylor might be- Is the thing that scares you that you don't think they have that top five upside, whereas like a guy like Mixon or even like an Antonio Gibson, like maybe those guys- in the right scenario, get that full volume and end up just volume wise, getting up into that top five. Yeah. It's almost all volume based with Taylor. My biggest concern is that he's the only guy being drafted really in the top 15, 16 that will be sharing the backfield with two other backs. Now he will be the lead guy for sure. I'm just wondering, is he going to have even a touch total starting with the three? Probably not because as much as we want Marlon Mack, Jordan Wilkins to not matter. I still think one of those guys is going to take just 10 to 15% snaps. Please, for the love of God, don't draft Mack or Wilkins in any league. Like I'm not saying that they're even going to be remotely a fantasy asset, but when you look at that early down guy and then Naeem Hunt, also getting his share of targets. We just don't see that same sort of, you know, mini competition with a bunch of these other backs. Also, while Taylor can catch the ball and same thing with Nick Chubb, I'm just not so sure they're going to get those opportunities, particularly going from Rivers to Wentz and having that drop off. So for me, I guess I'm just, you know, going again for that sky high upside as many touches as possible. To your point, though, they're probably becoming undervalued at this point. One of the things I said in my own top 10 tips for your fantasy drafts are was not to get cute early. You know, we're, we just don't want to lose the draft in the first couple of rounds. We don't need to necessarily knock it out of the park. You can do a hell of a lot worse than having Nick Chubb or Jonathan Taylor in that second round turn, because as much as, and I've been, you know, one of the leaders in saying offensive lines don't matter as much as we think they do for someone like Chubb or Taylor though, where they are getting the majority of their touches on the ground, then it is certainly helpful that they have PFS top two offensive lines going to the year. Yeah, for sure. And I think sometimes you mentioned get, you know, getting too cute with it. I think sometimes that's what people do with this stuff, especially this time of year. I mean, we're seeing it so much with training camp reports. Things come out. People are overreacting. It's wild. I know we waited all off season to get this news to see players on the field. We're going to have more preseason action tonight. Don't overreact to just one news item, one highlight you see, one opinion of a beat writer. Try to get that consensus, whether we're talking about Injury stuff like Barkley, you're not just following one guy. You want to follow a bunch of different injury analysts and see what they say and then form your own opinion. That's what you should be doing for fantasy too, right? So don't just overreact to one thing. You see one analyst, you see my rankings and I have a guy low. Question, why do I have that guy low? Go find out why. Don't just use my rankings and go off of that when you're drafting. Form your own opinions. That's been my big thing. You talked about, you know, writing sort of a a draft strategy and suggestions for the season. That's been one of my big ones is just trying to help educate everybody to follow someone like yourself, someone like me, a bunch of different sources, and then build your own opinion on it. Exactly, man. I believe it or not, I am not going to get every single ranking right at every single position. And one of my main points was just like, hey, if you see, if you know, if you believe Jonathan Taylor is the RB8 and ADP says he's the RB11, feel free to draft Jonathan Taylor. Just don't take someone that's like 15 spots behind ADP in round two because there's a much better chance they'll be there on the next go around compared to, you know, trying to get your guy in round 13 or something when the ADPs are much less efficient. Let's talk about some of these other backs in the same 
same kind of range as Nick Chubb and Jonathan Taylor. We got Aaron Jones, Antonio Gibson, Joe Mixon, David Montgomery. When I sent you this question, I was just kind of saying, like, how would you rank these guys purely in terms of overall touches? Let's scrap that a little bit, not to put it, not to put you too much on the spot. Which one Sorry. of the guys, I guess, just do you find yourself coming away with the most in drafts? Because I feel like even though Jones kind of has the higher, um, you know, ADP, they're all guys that are generally available in round two, particularly the latter four. Like, have you had more exposure to one of these backs compared to the other guys? Yeah, I would say it was Aaron Jones. And right. it was partially because I kept, assuming that Aaron Rodgers was going to be back and happily took that discount when you could get him in the the mid to late second. And now, yeah, the ADP is creeping up. I don't think it's creeped up enough for him and Devontae. I think both of them should be going in the first round. And right now I think like we just did a mock and, and Jones went the very end of the first round, I think, and Devontae sort of early to mid second. Um, I think you you can make a really strong argument that Devontae Adams with Aaron Rodgers there should be right back up as the number one receiver overall. And that's where I had him before any of that nonsense. And and that's where I was happy to put him back once Rodgers was back there. And Aaron Jones kind of the same. And whatever you think about A.J. Dillon, I really like A.J. Dillon. I think Dillon could be an interesting player that could give you some production while also kind of giving you that potential league winning upside as well. But you look at that offense they were using Jamal Williams a lot in passing downs. And now, and people make this argument, AJ Dillon can catch. Yeah, of course he can catch. Nick Chubb can catch. Jonathan Taylor can catch. Is that how they're going to use him though? I don't think so. I think Aaron Jones is going to get a lot more work in the, in the passing game. I think that's really exciting. And any sort of, you know, split where he loses some, some carries to Dillon or even potentially some goal line work. I don't think that's how it's going to go down. Normally the way the Packers did it in years past was they would give Jones a couple series, then they'd give Williams a series. It would be that kind of split. It wouldn't always just be specific to game situation. And I think that's what we'll see again. We'll see Dylan get some work. They drafted him early. They got to prove why they drafted him. But Aaron Jones mentioned it earlier, a guy who has that sort of 15, 20 touchdown upside in a season. He really could put all of that together. And a guy that you have to think that Aaron Rodgers trusts him. And we talk about this more with the receivers that the trust has to be there for Aaron Rodgers. That's why he wants to keep a guy like Jordy Nelson for so many years. That's why he wants Randall Cobb to come back or Jake Kumaro, whoever it might be. He wants guys on the field around him that he can trust. And he's had this time in the trenches with Aaron Jones that's a guy he knows he can trust. He's going to look to him quite a bit. So Jones is definitely the one that I drafted the most, but I will also say that Antonio Gibson isn't far behind. Antonio Gibson is my RB seven right now. I have Jones at RB six. I have Antonio Gibson at RB seven, because I think that we could see, remember David Johnson year one, didn't do much early in the season, kind of really flashed late in the year, came on hot, helped some people do well in their fantasy championships and in the fantasy playoffs And then the next season just went nuclear, just exploded, had all this ability as a receiver, as a runner. I really think that that is, it's not guaranteed, but it is possible for Gibson, you know, similar in college, a receiving background, a guy who can do that just the way that they brought him along last year. They really slowed that process. The the install for him was let's get you settled in on the ground. We know you can do the passing thing. Let's get you settled on the ground. We got J.D. McKissick, this veteran who can be out there and play that role. And now all offseason, they've been talking about wanting to get Gibson more involved in the passing game. That's what we're going to see happen this year. And 
Gibson, I mean, I don't want to get too crazy with it, but last year when there was some talk that like he could really, really blow up and people were hesitant, I think this is the year we're going to see that. I think this is the year that he could be a top five back if it all comes together. Because J.D. McKissick, for everything he did last year, 110 targets, there's no way that he's getting anywhere close to 110 targets, not just because Gibson, but the other guy brought in on that offense in the receiving core. And I think it's just smart of them. Get the ball into the hands of your best players. Gibson is one of their best players. They're going to find him on the ground. They're going to find him in the passing game. Just so excited about what he could do this season and how he could get up into that next echelon. I know you have him as your RB7, which I think is very fair. He's almost being probably as closer to his floor. Uh, Dwayne McFarlane, full, now a full-time PFF analyst. So happy to have Dwayne. Love Dwayne. Yeah, love Dwayne. You brought up a great point where Gibson's workload, if it doesn't really change, which I'm with you, I think he will eat into McKissick's targets some. Gibson's a little bit more like Nick Chubb, Jonathan Taylor in terms of his usage than we really give him credit for, which we don't think of him like that because he was such a great receiver at Memphis and we know he can provide more in that range of things. But that's great. If he's going with those guys uh, kind of as a borderline RB1 where you see him a lot and you can draft him and he has the better, like Kareem Hunt, Naeem Hines, they're not going anywhere. They're going to continue getting those targets. McKissick certainly could fall off the wayside. And it's, you know, Aaron Jones, I think we could see that to an extent with A.J. Dillon in the receiving game. Jamal Williams, man, almost an average of 40 targets per year. Jones, in my opinion, has been one of the most underutilized receiving backs throughout his career. One of my favorite stats I love to bring up, when lined up in the slaughter out wide, only Eckler and Naeem Hines have averaged more yards per outrun than Aaron Jones since 2017. So if they just say, hey, A.J. Dillon, you're going to be our early down grinder. Aaron Jones doesn't get too many more than 200 carries, but he gets the overwhelming majority of the leftover targets. Now we're looking at a guy that was already the RB5 last year, and if he can all of a sudden get a Kamara-esque, even like a poor man's Kamara receiving role, look the hell out, man. Okay. Yeah, because Kamara, Kamara, I'm not 100% sure the stat. I shouldn't even say it, but I'm pretty sure it's like he only had over – 15 touches and like, or 15 carries, maybe in like three different games last year or something like he doesn't get that monster volume. He doesn't get that crazy 25 touch Derek Henry kind of thing. He's just so efficient with what he does. And he's just so talented that he can produce and all the receiving work and the touchdowns and Aaron Jones, very, very similar. Aaron Jones right up there talent wise with, with almost any back in the league. So love him. And going back to your point with Dwayne, that's looking back at last year, right? What, how did they use him last year? And I'm sure Dwayne's awesome. Like Dwayne always gives context and, and, you know, context matters and, and qualifies that stuff. And I'm sure he pointed out the fact that with all the talk throughout the offseason of them wanting to get him more involved in the passing game, that we could see his role change. Just Dwayne often always wants to. And this is why I love having Dwayne on my show every year around like week three or week four. We've seen like two or three weeks of data at that point. And now we can bring Dwayne in and what are you seeing Dwayne? And we can make some decisions off of that. He's so good at that. Uh, but yeah, he's looking back at last year and just focusing on how they used him and trying to figure that out. And what we're doing right now is kind of projecting forward, trying to go to you know what might happen, which is I think based on what they're saying and based on his skill set, it only makes sense to get him more involved in the receiving game. So that's fingers like, crossed. Let's hope yeah. that happens. And that's honestly, man, like I got to have him on the, on this podcast earlier this off season, a fantastic uh, guy. And Antonio Gibson was one of like the only guests I had where he actually like, what didn't just kind of blow off the workload questions. I don't blame them at all for doing this. I'm just happy they even <laughs> take the time, but I would ask, you know, Oh, do you think you'll be used more in the slot this year? I'll do whatever coach tells me to do. Okay. Good answer. I don't blame you 
you for saying that. But Gibson brought up the actual point where they were just hesitant to put too much on his plate last year, similar exactly. to what happened with Christian McCaffrey as a rookie under the same coaches. So in terms of pure upside, I think both Aaron Jones and Gibson, you know, there's a reason why they're not going top five. But if we they finish not top five, certainly wouldn't be all that surprising. Okay, I mentioned my kind of general fancy draft tips. My third, second or third one was basically saying in the top three rounds, I want one of those top 14 RBs. And I kind of cut it off at Clyde Edwards-Alaire. I'm not getting a ton of Chris Carson, Dave Montgomery, DeAndre Swift, J.K. Dobbins, Miles Sanders. I've just been taking the top 15 wide receiver that's available instead of those guys at that point. Do you agree with this cutoff or is there one of those guys that you think should also be prioritized in those top three rounds? I don't blame you. I don't blame you. And I often take a similar approach. There's one guy that I, out of that group that you named, especially there's one guy that kind of stands out to me that ends up on a lot of my teams and it's Chris Carson. And, you know, he's really, he's flirted with, with top 12, top 15 fantasy numbers kind of constantly over the last few years, 2018, that was his first year as the, the lead back with the Seahawks had over 1300 yards from scrimmage, 20 catches, nine touchdowns. 2019, he goes out, he tops that over 1400 yards, 37 grabs, nine scores. Then last year, I know we missed some time, but even with an injury shortened season, still matched that career high at 37 catches. So he would have blown past that. And he averaged uh, 80 yards per game. That's pretty nice yards from scrimmage per game. And he was on pace. If you take that, that number on pace for just under, just slightly under 1,300 yards if you were looking at a 16-game schedule. And guess what? He still scored the nine touchdowns. So we keep bringing up Alvin Kamara. I always love that stat where like three straight years, he had exactly 81 catches. Well, Chris Carson, doesn't matter how many games he plays, he's always going to score you nine touchdowns, apparently. You can just you can bank on that, right? So <laughs> he's been that top 15 back or so all these seasons. Now, I think this year, one of the reasons I know he's getting a little older, 27, I think he's still got at least one more good season in him. But I think the big reason this year why people are scared is because we're finally getting some positive reports about Rashad Penny that Rashad Penny's back. He's healthy. He's lighter. He's looking explosive. Great. I am. I'm so happy. Rashad Penny's career has just been completely derailed by injuries. But guess what? Go search his name on Twitter right now. He's out of practice this week. He hasn't been practicing. It's a thigh injury. Pete Carroll said he wasn't sure if if Penny was going to be back this week. Don't think he's going to play in the first preseason game. So he's already hurt again. And does that mean that he can't get healthy in a couple weeks here and still siphon some touches and take away from Carson's upside? No, he definitely could be back before the season. We got like a, a month to go here, right? But when I'm looking at Penny, it's not a guy that I'm that worried about that I think is going to be able to stay healthy, that I think is going to come in and, and steal this job away from Chris Carson. Carson seemingly has fixed those fumbling issues that he had and continues to produce here despite not getting the respect. So I think I referred to him earlier in the offseason on our show as he's like the Robert Woods of running backs, right? That guy that just keeps putting up those almost or maybe even in the top 12 numbers and yet just doesn't seem to get the respect, right? Weeks one through five last year, PPR RB5, he gets hurt. Weeks 12 through 17, RB12. The guy is an RB1 when he's out there. I had him at the beginning of the offseason ranked as my RB12, and I cowered out of it a little bit, and I've dropped him down. So maybe I've been overthinking it. I guess for me, I, I can't even make a great argument against him, man. I really can't. Chris Carson probably should be in my group. One thing I well, would... There's one, actually, there's one other thing we probably should say that makes me at least a little more excited about him too, and that's the change at offensive coordinator yeah. and what that could do for, because 
initially in the offseason, I was getting a little down on the passing game there. I was concerned because they kept talking, and this is a good thing for him. Pete Carroll always saying that he wants to run the ball more, run the ball more. Then they bring in Shane Waldron as the new OC. And the reason I think we should be getting excited is because they're talking about upping the tempo now. Upping the tempo means that not only can the rushing attack get more volume, that passing attack can get more volume as well. So I think that's a reason why we should maybe start getting pretty excited about the Seahawks offense. We still got to see them do it on the field, but just looking when you put those two things together, more pace, and then also the fact that Pete Carroll will never want to get away from the run could be really good things for, for Carson there. I feel like Carson and Mixon are two guys where if you just mention anything about them, the first five replies to your tweet will be, oh, he's just <laughs> going to get hurt. People, here are some running backs that have missed more games due to injury than Carson since 2018. Christian McCaffrey, Dalvin Cook, Saquon Barkley, Austin Eckler, Joe Mixon. If you're not holding it against those guys, don't hold it against Chris Carson. I love the not, the three straight years with nine touchdowns. We lost the Kamara streak. Uh, shout out Russell Clay. He brought to my attention that DJ Moore has exactly 1,215 yards from scrimmage and four touchdowns in back-to-back years. So that's a contender Amazing. for the new one. And finally, I found this one. Brandon Cook's longest catch for three straight years is exactly 57 yards. So hopefully <laughs> one of these streaks continues and we can get four out of it. Okay. We've had maybe the most annoying situation to me in the NFL this offseason has been the Jacksonville Jaguars. Just one perplexing decision after another from Urban Meyer. I understand no real games have been playing, have been played yet. Still not looking great. Are we seriously buying to the idea that Urban Meyer? comes out of retirement, goes to the NFL to feature James Robinson, spends a first round pick on Travis Etienne to feature James Robinson. I don't know, man. I know people are higher on James Robinson seemingly over the past few weeks because he's been the starting running back in Jags camp. Well, Gardner Minshew has apparently been the starting quarterback in Jags camp. So what are your thoughts on Robinson, Etienne, God forbid, even Carlos Hyde, this Jaguars backfield as a whole? I feel like you're teeing me up to to talk about how awesome Travis Etienne is. And, and he is, he definitely off, is, but go off. <laughs> I, I gotta, I gotta just be honest with this one, man. Like, you know how I am. I'm not the kind of guy that's going to go out and just give you that hot take for the sake of it. Right. And this one, I don't have a good feel for, I really don't. I, I like dread trying to figure out the projection for these guys. Every time I'm working on it, there's so many different ways this could play out. And maybe Urban Meyer's just using it to his favor that people don't know what they're going to be doing in that offense. And I always wonder why, why does anyone think that coaches are honest ever? If I was a head coach, I would never tell the media the truth. I'd constantly be lying about who was going to play and anything that I could possibly lie about to to throw my opponents off. Right. So um, when you look at Robinson, I think that the, the most likely way that this is going to go is he will start the year and get more of the carries and you'll have Etienne playing that slash role. And so he'll be getting a lot of receiving work and he'll be getting some carries. And then as the year goes along, you have to think that Travis Etienne is going to take on a bigger role. How many times do we see this play out where the more veteran guy, and I know Robinson isn't that much of a veteran, but the, the incumbent guy keeps that job initially. And then the, the high price, the rookie with all that draft capital just slowly eats into it and eventually takes over that job. Now, could this end up being a Alvin? We keep talking about Kamara, like every single guy we talk about here, but like a, an Alvin Kamara, Mark Ingram kind of situation, right? Cause that Etienne is like that kind of Kamara light. Like that's how I see him as a prospect, a guy with great receiving ability. He could come in and play that role and maybe not get that crazy volume. Cause I don't even know that he projects to be that guy in the pros. I don't know that he's going to be that guy. that's going to get a ton of volume, but 
that guy that could come in and be, they're already talking about how kind of guy who can score from anywhere on the field. He's got the speed to blow by everybody. He's doing it in practice. So could we see some sort of setup where he's playing that Kamara, that big play kind of role, that more explosive guy. And then you have Robinson kind of crashing and and banging and not that Robinson can't do more than that, but maybe they end up using him and more of that role. I think that's the most likely way this plays out. I'm not going to talk about Carlos Hyde. I'm not going to waste my time unless there's an injury. I will be stunned if Carlos Hyde gets very much work there whatsoever. But when you look at it for, for Etienne, if I'm picking between these guys in a draft, I'm definitely taking Etienne. I'm trusting that first round draft capital. The guy who is going to an offense that I think he's going with his college quarterback, which I think does mean something for just comfort's sake. But also Trevor Lawrence is going to kind of raise all boats in that offense. How long is it going to take? I don't know. But that Jags offense is going to get so much better. We talk about Matt Stafford going to the Rams and the upgrade from Goff to Stafford. Well, no offense to Gardner Minshew has helped me win some fantasy games in the past, but Gardner Minshew to Trevor Lawrence, as much as they want to say this is a competition right now and completely lie to us about that, there is just a massive upgrade that's about to happen at quarterback there. So that's going to improve everything, not just the receiving game, but also the rushing attack there is going to get more opportunities and more scoring opportunities. I think so, what you said to start uh, was... attends the guy that I would be betting on. Yeah. I think what you said to start about us just not quite knowing at this point really rings true. This is one of the most important offenses to watch in terms of first team usage throughout the preseason, because as it stands, every single position group has the potential to be muddled. I know Lawrence is going to be the week one starter. I'm not going to entertain Gardner Minshew actually winning this quote unquote competition uh, thing, but God forbid Tim Tebow actually makes his roster. He could have some sort of a Taysom Hill role. Should he? Of course not. It could happen. Should Carlos Hyde be involved? No. Would I be worried about Carlos Hyde and 31 other teams? No. On the one team where he's playing under the coach <laughs> that featured him for two successful college years, I am a little bit concerned. And then at receiver, is it going to be Marvin, Visca, and Chark in three wide receiver sets? Or is ETN going to be in there and all of a sudden we're rotating guy? I just want one of these, and if ideally through all three of these position groups to get settled, have a pretty clear number one guy, number two guy, number three Hopefully the preseason can help us even that. Yeah, I worry that they're going to run like a vanilla offense in the preseason and not tell us anything. And then week one, we're just going in blind that that would be the most scary possible outcome for us as far as ranking and projections go against the Texans too. So there's no way we're benching these guys in week one. Um, I know. Okay. So my guy, he's my guy this year, Zach Moss, unfortunately dealing Uh-oh. with hamstring injury. I was thinking of him as one of the best late round running backs. Basically when it was him and Singletary healthy last year, Moss was slightly the lead back. He was getting talked up a lot in training camp. Bills might have 258 million reasons to not exactly feature Josh as much near the goal line. And yeah, I know Bills running backs aren't fantasy friendly. We've seen that. Devin Singletary was being drafted as an RB2 last year. Moss is almost a RB4 at this point. So again, people don't hate the player, hate the ADP. Moss's ADP is much more affordable. With that hamstring injury, though, need to back off maybe a little bit. Is there a running back outside the top 24 that you find yourself continuously leaning towards uh, in terms of that, you know, not super late round, but if you're doing a zero RB, anchor RB, who's kind of that guy in the RB3 range that you keep finding yourself targeting? Are we counting like the, the rookies like Javante Williams and, and Trey Sermon? I mean, technically they're yeah. going outside of the, the top 24. I mean, if you're, if you're looking at those guys and we, we just ran down what happens with these rookies normally uh, when we were talking about Etienne and that's, you know, they might not have the, the full role in week one. Maybe they're splitting with a veteran. And I think 
it's a good chance both those guys will, as long as Raheem Mostert can make it to week one healthy. Uh, Raheem Mostert, every single time that he's been given more work, he ends up breaking down. That's just what happens. So I don't have a lot of confidence that he's going to stay healthy. And Sermon, I think that's why they went out and got him to be that more sustaining back. And both these guys, the teams traded up to get them in the draft. So that shows you how much they like them. I think Sermon could come in and be that more sustaining back, that guy that, you know, you just keep getting those those flashes of RG3 and Alfred Morris in Washington with the Shanahan's and that you're going to have a similar situation with Trey Lance and then Sermon. Sermon can be that kind of back. So many people have been on him, people who I trust. Uh, Matt Waldman was a guy that had him ranked very high. He was big time on, on Sermon. So I have a lot of faith in Matt's ability to break down these prospects. Um, so I look at him and then you look at, at Williams and not only did they move up, they moved up to the top of the second round to get him. The reports were that they were trying to get ahead of the Dolphins to get him. How do they feel about Melvin Gordon? Uh, Gordon showed up and apparently is performing a little better than expected, at least a little better than I expected in camp. So they haven't completely soured on him yet. So I think we're going to see at the start of the season, some sort of committee, but the way these things normally go, the fresh legs, the younger running backs. And that's another one with sermon where everybody forgets that he's like 29 years old. He hasn't been around that long. And, but he was sort of around. He just wasn't on the fantasy radar for very long. Um, So he's kind of those older legs coming back from all these injuries. We're going to see sermon and Javante really blow up in the second half of the season. When you look at those playoff schedules, Week 14 on, the Broncos get the Lions, the Bengals, the Raiders, and the Chargers. The 49ers get the Bengals, the Falcons, the Titans, and the Texans. It, it can be very foolish trying to project when you're looking at fantasy playoff schedules. So many things could happen. I feel pretty good about looking at those teams and saying, I think those offenses are going to score a lot of points and be able to move the ball against those teams no matter what happens. I don't think there's going to be 10 breakouts on any of those defenses to completely change their fortunes. So I really like those two rookies later in the season. And that's why I went out and I got Javante Williams and Scott Fishbowl. Cause I've, you know, I've had a lot of success in the industry. I've won a lot of leagues and a lot of tournaments and stuff, but it would be nice to put that Scott Fishbowl on the mantle. So I really drafted looking at the playoffs and that one this year. I'm, I'm with you where I'm not saying, oh, I'm dropping this running back because he has the eighth best strength of schedule throughout this year. But when he can get a prolonged, you know, five to seven game stretch of just cake opponents like that, it's why I like Kirk Cousins so much for the first seven games of the year, people. It's just, we're not pretending. Why Jonathan Taylor and, and David Montgomery went off in the second half of last season, right? When the schedule gets that easy, doesn't necessarily need the best back in the world to perform against them. Derrick Henry gets his, you know, crop of Texans and Jaguars games yep. lined up and we just start counting the yards. Kind of takes us into the next question here in the Sermon versus Mostert debate. I guess my issue with it and why I'm slightly team Mostert, again, I think both guys are fine where they're going because, again, similar to the Bills, like in past years, we've been drafting Matt Breida and uh, just whoever we thought was going to be the 49ers RB1 as an RB2. And now that we know that it's been more of a committee thing, these guys are now being priced where we've seen the committee guys finishing over the past few years. So yeah, if Mostert breaks down, which maybe he does, he has done it in the past, I get it. Then it'll be Sermon's job, but lost in all these kind of fluff pieces about Sermon is the fact that Mostert is still the RB1 and he's had a ton of success in this system. I guess for me, like when I look at a player like Mostert, it's like, okay, why do we not like him? 
he could get hurt. If that's the only bad thing I can say about the guy. Then I'm going to kind of go back to the well there. So for me, I do find it puzzling that Sermon is has the higher ADP, the most dirt. The rookie trends are fine, but he's also, I guess they did trade up, but still third round pick. I'm not exactly going to crown him the way we would, you know, with ETN over Robinson. Are you out on most or is it more just you liking Sermon more? No, I'm still taking some shots on him. Uh, you know, I'm willing to take a guy who I think can have that big playability and maybe get some starts in that offense, in that rushing attack that we know can be productive. Where you're getting him, sure, I'll, I'll take a shot on him down there and just so that I have a little bit of exposure to both guys. But you look at Mostert, you said fluff pieces in the offseason. Why were there those fluff pieces being written about Sermon? It's because Mostert didn't even show up. He wasn't even able to perform at OTAs. He was out with a knee issue. They called it a minor issue. You know, all that sort of stuff. He wasn't able to be there. Sermon got first team reps and the beat writers were saying that he looked like he belonged. He did not look. And one of the big things with these rookies, we can do all the analysis we want on them coming out of college. But I'm so happy we have the preseason again this year because I want to see them on the field against NFL competition. And I know SEC, some of those some of those conferences. Yeah, there's some really great players, but even when they get to the preseason against second stringers, third stringers, you get a feel for what's this player going to be like. Are they falling flat on their face? Do they look like they belong? Do they look like they could be a superstar? And just to get some reports that Sermon's out there against the 49ers, you know, the starting offense for the 49ers, their defense is pretty good. And he's out there and looking the part. That's that's pretty exciting for me. I'm kind of kind of makes me interested even a little more in him. And when you factor in that, you know. Mostert, it, he can't even get healthy during the off season. I, maybe he's going to be fine here for training camp and talk with the other guys. We got a month out before the season. Here's a lot of time for these injury situations to change, but I am not confident that Mostert is going to stay healthy, even if they start to pull back on his touches. And that's why I think they haven't gone with a main guy the last couple of years. They've gone with these committees because of the Bredas and the Mosterts. And these guys that weren't able to be those kind of sustaining backs. And I have some hope that Sermon is going to be able to do that for them. On top of the fact that Lance is there and once Lance takes over, I mean, another situation like, like Lawrence with the Jags, where I think that offense in general could just, everybody on that offense could just explode. Playing, you know, I, I, I love my arbitrary uh, splits and we can get him in there. I'm just saying, man, you look at that playoff run to start 2020 into the first two weeks of this year. Best version of Moster has been pretty damn special. I am down to spend, you know, eighth, ninth round pick to acquire that guy. All right, well, and the price is so important too, because you mentioned with the Bills guys, I don't love the outlook for them, but where you're getting them, why not? Throw a dart for sure, because you never know what could happen. You know, Zach Moss, he keeps getting banged up here, but maybe you get a nice stretch from him. And I think when you factor in the Josh Allen thing, I'm concerned that at some point, like you kind of referenced that at some point, they're going to make that business decision and kind of pull back on his rushing attempts, especially around the goal line. But they need a back to prove that they can do it around the goal line. They need Moss to be healthy and prove that he can convert those touches. And then they might be able to pull back on Allen in that area. So we need to see Moss healthy on the field. I hope we get a chance to, to do that. And I still would throw a dart at Singletary because if Moss can't stay healthy, Singletary's had some stretches where he's been able to, to put up not RB1 numbers, but maybe he can give you low-end RB2 numbers for some games. Um, and yeah, where you're getting them way outside the top 100 picks, why not? Why not? Wise words to live by when we're getting our late round running backs. So one of the favorite phrases I've come across this offseason, I'm mentioning like every podcast these days, courtesy of the fantasy footballers, Mike Wright, flex with benefits. Guys like AJ, Dillon, James Robinson, Jamal Williams, 
you, you mentioned it before. You basically spelled it out. Guys that can give you flex value in a pinch and potential league winning upside if something goes wrong. Is there a player in this mold that you like more than the rest? Personally, I think A.J. Dillon fits it very well, where even if he's not getting as many receptions as we think, still someone that should be in line for Williams, you know, about average of 150 touches per year. Aaron Jones goes down. Now we have the Packers RB1. Dylan, Latavius, anyone like that that really just uh, strikes your fancy? I think Darrington Evans could get a little more work than people expect. And we talked about, you know, Henry not being really involved that much in the receiving game. Evans could kind of play that role on top of the fact we won't get into it again. The, you know, over 700 touches and all that stuff. And if Henry goes down, who's it going to be? I've been grabbing Evans just in case, just to, just to see if that happens. And also in like deeper dynasty leagues, maybe a little Brian Hill sprinkled in there. Uh, we saw him with the Falcons do you know, in some spot starts kind of step up a little bit. So um, I'm just putting some chips there just in case Henry does break down, I think, and maybe it's an obvious one, but Gus Edwards, when you look at last year, even when JK Dobbins came on down the stretch and Dobbins was the, the RB 12 in fantasy points per game over the final five weeks of last season, Edwards was the RB 29 during that span. So we know how much they're going to run the ball. We know that Edwards, even going back a couple of years, he's that kind of North South runner can really get downfield with it. Um, and, you know, a healthy Lamar Jackson will, will help. And that offense in general is one, even though they've lost Rashad Bateman, perhaps that makes them just go back to as much as they talk to off season, but want to throw the ball more. Maybe they are going to have to just keep leaning on the run so much. And, I think Edwards is going to be involved quite a bit. And yeah, if Dobbins went down, there's no Mark Ingram or anybody else. I'm not that worried about Justice Hill unless you're in a super deep dynasty league. So Edwards could could really blow up if something happened to Dobbins there. And if not, he can give you that flex. Well, well uh, we're waiting for it. I like the uh, Darrington Evans call because this is a guy with third round draft capital. And, you know, as, as much as we love someone like Trey Sermon and we use that draft capital as a reason why he's going to be, you know, very involved. Evans has only picked five picks after him. If you go back to the 2020 draft, I know they weren't in the same class. You guys know what I'm trying to say. And the hype before last year was actually getting pretty high. Uh, NBC Sports' Peter King cited a Titan source saying that Evans had a chance to be a poor man's Alvin Kamara. I know that there is again. Happen. Alvin Kamara, every segment. <laughs> Unreal. This one at least wasn't straight out of our minds. But anyway, and then after that, um, ESPN's Teron Davenport, who came on this podcast to talk Titans earlier in March, he only projected the Titans to roster two running backs, period. What happened was he had a hamstring injury before the year started. And as we all know, with hamstring injuries, why we're concerned with Zach Moss can be tricky to get back on the field. So, yeah, if you're one of these people, if you're saying I am not picked, if someone's not picking Derrick Henry purely because of him falling off a cliff and the touches, you should probably be pretty high on Darrington Evans accordingly. All right, Justin, great stuff. Now, I want to run some quick rapid fire by you. Fact or fiction, just give me one or two sentences of explanation if you can help it. Austin I'll Eckler, try. It can be long-winded, but I'll try. Fair enough. Austin Eckler finishes as a top eight fantasy RB. Yeah, and PPR, I, I, I think that's a, a fact. I mean, he's going to get a ton of targets. I'm still a little worried about the goal line role, a guy that you know has never had more than three rushing touchdowns in any season here, but he did have that one year where he had eight touchdown catches, so maybe he can make up for it that way. But yeah, I feel pretty good about him ending up up there. Targets historically worth 2.7 times a rush attempt. We could have been saying Eckler instead of Kamara in some of these comps, and I think it also would have applied. Okay, Najee Harris, assuming good health, clears 300 touches. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I mean, there's just no competition there whatsoever. And you can be as worried as you want about that line and what that means for his you know, efficiency. But 
touch wise, yeah, you're going to get a little bit of Anthony McFarland sprinkled in, but it's going to be all Najee all the time in that offense. There was a day that there was a time where we needed to actually consider more than just volume with the running backs in the year 2000, 19 different running backs had over 300 touches last year four. So yeah, when Najee is going to have more workload than just about anyone, we can not worry about the O-line as much people. Kenyon Drake outscores Josh Jacobs in full PPR scoring. No, th- this one, you just got to get out of here on this one. I mean, <laughs> you, you've said it already. Like you got to put these injury caveats in all of these. And when we're talking about running backs that, yeah, maybe Jacobs gets hurt and, and that's what makes it happen. But Josh Jacobs, I mean, last year in fantasy points per game PPR, was 15th among running backs overall. He was the RB eight, you know, like the guy can perform here. He's 23. He said back to back thousand yard seasons. Like what do we need to see from this guy? I know that he's not going to get 81 catches in a season and he's not going to get up there in the top five. So maybe that's why people are kind of souring on him, but there is still a path for him to end up being an RB one while Kenyon Drake scoops up the work that, you know, Jalen Richard and Devontae Booker and Theo Riddick. You look at those guys last year, 50 targets between them, 137 carries between them. Let's give Kenyon Drake that work. Sure, fine. And it seems like in interviews I've seen with Drake, it seems like he's kind of acknowledging that, you know, he's there to kind of help Jacobs. He's not there to take the job. Was it ridiculous? I know I'm going more than two sentences, but this one makes me mad. Was it ridiculous they gave him all that money to come in and be a, an overpaid backup? Yeah, for sure. And he'll be involved. But I think people are souring on Josh Jacobs way too quickly here. And he's still a young back that is going to, in my mind, he's almost guaranteed to outperform where he's going in drafts. After his rookie year, I really thought Jacobs deserved to kind of be in top five, top eight lists of just best running backs with the ball in their hands. He looked that good. It's always just been, why don't they feature him more as a receiver? I think Jacobs might be a better receiver than Kenyon Drake. Unfortunately, it matters what John Gruden and the Raiders think. Not so much us. I'm, I think we are penalizing Jacobs a bit too much. I'm, I don't agree. I'm not saying fact Drake's going to outscore him. We'll see how it's the targets up. went up, right? He had 27 in year one. He had 45 or so last year. Like it's possible. It could give him a little more this year. It could get up. It's not going to get to that high end level, but he's still going to be involved in the passing game. He's still going to produce. Come on, everybody. <laughs> Daryl Henderson returns the sort of RB one value. We were hoping to get from Cam Akers. It's possible. I don't, I don't think it's going to happen. I think the reason it's not going to happen is because I think they had more faith in acres. We talked about kind of those sustaining backs, those guys that can have those big workloads. I think they had more faith in acres being that guy and being able to, to hold up. Now I know he got hurt in the off season here, but the thing with Henderson, they've always seemed to be concerned about durability. The first thing that Sean McVay said when he was asked about him, it wasn't that, you know, is he a bad running back or anything? No, he thinks he's a great running back he's just concerned about him kind of in that workload and can he prove that he can be durable? So that's my biggest worry. Cause last year, early in the season, first six games, uh, he had over 90 yards in three of them. He had four touchdowns during those first six games. Like Henderson could put up some numbers and, and we're excited about that offense in general. So he's going to put up some good stats. I think much better bet as an RB two with some RB one weeks than trying to expect him to be an RB one in that range overall in the top 12. 
I am surprised to see like right now an underdog, he's only got an RB 19 ADP. I, I ranked him as RB 18 when this all kind of went down and I thought I would be among the lower group on it, but I think people just aren't quite coming around. He was the PPR RB 29 until acres kind of started to take over in week uh, 13 last season. So Henderson, yeah. And that RB two range is fine and it could happen. You know, if the wheels uh, stay on this year, keep an eye on if the Rams eventually add a veteran back, but so far so good for Daryl. Henderson. Okay. Backfield that surprisingly hasn't had anyone. Miles Gaskin works as a Dolphins undisputed starting RB all season. I don't see this happening. I mean, I don't want to harp on like the guy being smaller. He's, you know, around 200 pounds. He got banged up last year in that role. He looked great when he was out there. I don't think he's going to lose it on, on talent. I just think they purposely brought in somebody like Malcolm Brown, who not great at any one thing, but kind of good at a bunch of different things. And one of those guys that coaches just like kind of that Jamal Williams type guy where he's going to earn a role in that offense. I think we're already hearing that, you know, maybe the goal line work, short yardage stuff, Salvin Ahmed performed pretty well. Is he going to get involved? So I do think that while he's healthy, Gaskin is going to be the the starter, but I just, I really worry about him holding up over the course of a whole season. I might have to go to Twitter with another question because we need a name for these running backs now, like Jamal Williams and also like Malcolm Brown, who are not helping us at all in fantasy. They're just hurting us because they're taking touches away from the backs. We want to get them, even though they're perfectly solid real life backs in their own right. Another running back going in the same range as Gaskin, Mike Davis, similarly depleted depth chart. Will Mike Davis work as the Falcons undisputed starting RB all season? It's kind of the same thing here. I love Mike Davis, but when he was in that starting role at the Panthers last year, he just slowly was, he wasn't as good, right? He started off really, really hot and then kind of fizzled out and he's he's 28, a little older. I know he doesn't have that many miles on him, but I think that, you know, they they brought in a couple guys here, you know, they have your guy Cordero Patterson to get involved. Uh, Kadri Olson's getting a lot of talk here that he's looking good in that system. Javion Hawkins, I don't think that that Davis is going to be able to to maintain that for the whole season. That being said, he's maybe a really nice guy to grab and get you through some of the early weeks in the year and then hope that you can find somebody in the waiver wire or whatever down the stretch. So I'm not against drafting him. I still really like him in that range in redraft. I've even taken him in a, a dynasty startup or two when he goes really, really late. And you just plug him in for that one season and see what you can get. But no, I have a hard time believing that Mike Davis is going to hold up no matter how big his quads are. <laughs> quadzilla for sure with all due respect to aj Dillon's quads as well you talked about javante williams taking over eventually earlier do you think he could be the feature back as early as october yeah yeah for sure i still don't think it's impossible like that he gets the majority of the work in week one like i think he no. could come out and have sort of the the lead back job even if it is a 60 40 split with Melvin Gordon or, you know, 60 30 10. We get Mike Boone, great name, get Mike Boone in there getting some work. They, they like him too. So, uh, yeah, I think Javante Williams is going to be the, the starter there much sooner rather than later. Fantastic stuff, Justin. Two more. The answer to which Tampa Bay running back to draft is just no. Yeah, the answer is no. Just, just don't do it. Don't put yourself through that. That headache. Fantasy is supposed to be fun. You want to go mining for value. I get it. But no, I, I don't want to get into that headache with Geo there now. And it's probably going to end up that it's Ronald Jones with the early down work and, and Geo with the passing down work. And there'll be a little bit of value there. But unless there's two other injuries, no, I'm not that interested in any of those guys. 
We're about to see that horrific 2019 Tampa Bay splits come back where Dari, Rojo, and Peyton Barber were playing like 33% of every single game. Yeah, it's devastating. Backfield. Last one, Michael Carter, Bucks historical trends, turns in a top 24 PPR finish despite being a fourth round pick. I don't think he's going to. Um, still a guy that I have grabbed in a few spots, including Scott Fishbowl again, a guy that I'm hoping can break out, but uh, I think they're going to maintain a committee there. That seems like everything they're saying. I don't think they're going to kind of like we talked about with Antonio Gibson, that they didn't want to put everything on his plate in year one. They have Tevin Coleman, the, the veteran, the guy who knows the system with those 49ers coaches coming over to the jets and Coleman, all the B writers talk about how fast he looks. I don't think he's a great fantasy option, but a guy that's going to get some touches. I still like Ty Johnson in that offense as well. I think he's going to get worked in. So no, I don't think we're going to see Carter run away with the job. I think that's going to be a full-blown committee for a while there. Yeah. And I guess my big issue with Carter throughout this process has been the assumption that if he is the RB one, that it's going to be like this almost bell cow role. It could easily just look like San Fran, Tampa Bay, or, you know, Buffalo, one of these backfields that doesn't really produce that fantasy friendly of a running back because so many parties are involved. And I hope we do see Atlanta-esque Tevin Coleman. Like he could not play more than like 30 snaps over the past two years before he suffered some bad, uh, you know, lower body injury, played through the Super Bowl and with a dislocated shoulder. Dude's been so banged up. Some of these uh, Gen Zers out there might not even remember back in the day when Tevin was uh, one of the more explosive guys out there. There was a time when we were hyped to see him go back to Shanahan in San Fran. Unfortunately, it didn't come true. Maybe the Jets can at least revive Matad. Justin, thank you again, man. Your 2021 Fantasy Football Draft Kit was released a few weeks ago. Folks can hear you on the Score Fantasy Football Podcast. Anything else you want to pimp out before we get out of here? No, man, that's that's everything. Download the Score app if you haven't already. All my stuff's free all year long, and I put my rankings up against anybody in the industry for, for most accurate. So always love talking to you, dude. Always love competing against you in these leagues, too. I can't wait to see what happens with that International Dynasty League that we started up. And it's awesome. We got people from all over the world in that one. It's going to be a, a ton of fun to see where that goes. And you went with a very uh, Ohio-centric draft plan. You drafted a lot of guys with some sort of connection there. So I can't wait to see uh, how that works out for you, too. But yeah, it's going to be a good one. It's cool to get so many people from around the world and all over Europe and Brazil and Australia and Mexico. We got all these different fantasy analysts. So it's great. And it's a great time of year, right? Where we got training camps going, more preseason action about to start. And we're going to finally get to week one pretty soon here and, and find out the real answers to all this stuff after we speculated all off season about it. And man, like you are not just tooting your own horn saying you put your rankings up against anyone. People, Justin has been top seven in each of the last seven seasons. I don't love these ranking competitions because I don't, you know, love having a large, not a large chunk of reputation, but a lot of people will judge you on how you finish in these. And it kind of reminds me of like high school when people wouldn't even look at your jobs, won't look at your resume or colleges, they look at your ACT and SAT score. Well, Justin, when you're finishing top seven every year, when you can get a perfect SAT every single time you take it, you should be taking advantage of this. All credit to you for continuously finishing at the top. And again, people, you can find Justin over at The Score and on Twitter at Justin Boone. Great stuff. He's Justin. I'm Ian. This has been the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Hope you all enjoyed. And until next time, take care, everybody. 